0: First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you open them with me to Acts chapter 14 uh, as we continue this series called Life on Mission. Today we're looking at the tail end of the Apostle Paul's very first missionary journey. And I was trying to think back to all the mission trips I've ever, ever been on in my life. And I was kind of racking my brain trying to think about the worst experiences I've ever had on on mission trips. And it was kind of hard to even come up with anything. I've just, all the trips have just been, been great. But again, you know, a few of the things that kind of came to my mind, one was in India. And in India, you ride around in these things called autos that are like glorified motorcycles. They're built on a motorcycle frame and it has a little open cart behind it. And uh, you know you're taking your life in your hands every time you get in one of these things and, and ride in that traffic uh, where there are apparently no rules whatsoever. Um, but I remember one time in particular, these, these things are built for about one and a half American men, at least of, of my size, okay? And so, uh, but we had three of us. It was me, Aaron Still, and Brother Larry all packed into this thing. And we, we were happy when that ride was over. I'll just tell you that. Uh, another time that comes to mind was in Panama. One time in Panama, I had a blackberry shake, and I shouldn't have, and uh, just just food poisoning. It was some, some of the sickest I've ever felt in my life. And then the last thing that, that, that comes to mind is a time actually with Pastor Doug, going on a mission trip with our youth group, and I was in college at the time, and we went and we were working on this house. It was very dilapidated. Our particular team, the college team, was going to replace the roof. And they said, uh, Scott, we'd like for you to go up on the roof and uh, kind of check it out and see, you know, if there's any soft spots. And I, uh, I agreed to that foolishly. And so I went up on the roof and I had a, a shovel, roofing shovel in my hand. I'm tapping around and I take a couple steps on that roof and literally fell right through the roof and landed on a rafter that was there in the attic. And also the whole ceiling was rotted out of this house. So I could see all the way down to the floor where people were walking around and I said dear Lord thank you for this rafter being right at this per- particular place but so those were some of the things that kind of came to my mind but 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 none of those things I'll tell you hold a candle to what the apostle Paul went through on this missionary trip. And you just heard the passage read for us. I mean, in one town, he was uh, almost stoned and then kicked out of town. And then in another town, they try to worship him and offer a ox in his honor. And then he ends up actually getting stoned and they think he's dead and they leave him for dead. And, 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 and these things didn't happen on like 10 different mission trips. This all happened on one mission trip. And so as I think about Acts 14 and everything that Paul and Barnabas went through, What really stands out to me in this chapter is the way that they persevered, the the way that they just kept on going, on mission for the Lord. Again, as we've been saying in this series, we have all been called to a life on mission. And as we live that life on mission, we're going to face challenges and obstacles. Maybe there's some of you right now that have some, some real serious challenges and obstacles in in your life that are going on as you're seeking to live for the Lord. And so as we study this story today, I believe the Lord would want us to walk away with that same commitment to persevere, that same commitment to keep on going no matter what comes our way. And so today I wanna share with you three motivations to keep on going, to keep living on mission no matter what. First off, we keep going for the Lord. Keep going for the Lord. In in verse 1, Paul and Barnabas are in this city called Iconium, but of course this is not the first city that they've been in on this missionary journey. Uh, If you remember, they left from their home church in Antioch and got on a boat and sailed to the island of Cyprus, and there they had an encounter with this strange, magical sorcerer dude, but God worked Uh, in wondrous ways anyway on the island of Cyprus. And they got on a boat again. They sailed to the coast of what is modern-day Turkey. They trekked another hundred miles through rugged terrain to a city called Antioch, a different Antioch, Antioch in Pisidia. They saw God do some neat things there, but eventually people got upset with them, ended up forcing them out of town. And so now they've traveled another 80 miles to get to this city called Iconium. And so my point is that we're going to read about some troubles that they experienced here. These weren't the first troubles that they experienced on this mission ship. They had already had some hard things to go through, and now they're about to have some more. Verse 1, it says they went to the synagogue and shared about Jesus there, and God did some amazing things. There were some Jewish people who believed. There were some Gentiles who believed as well. People were turning to the Lord in great, great numbers. But just as was the case in almost every town Paul went to, not everybody was super thrilled with him. If you look in verse 2, it says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. I love that language there. They poisoned their minds. They put it into their minds that Paul and Barnabas were bad news. And so they started to believe that Paul and Barnabas were, were bad news. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of of what's going on in our culture right now with this whole cancel culture, right? And if there's folks who are influential enough, particularly in the media, right? They're able to get folks to think a certain way about something and to convince people that something or someone is bad news. I don't know if you saw this week, but the latest victim of the cancel culture, poor Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss. I mean, this is Dr. Seuss, right? Cat in the hat, Dr. Seuss, right? One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street, right? Except for you're not going to see it on Mulberry Street for much longer because the book's going to be out of print, right? And so uh, th- this is what's happening. And yet, as we read this story, what they were trying to cancel in the city of Iconium was a lot more important than Dr. Seuss' books, right? They were trying to cancel the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they're poisoning the minds of people against Paul and Barnabas. And yet, look at how they responded to that. Look at what it says in verse three. It says, Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So we read that things were getting rough. It was getting hard to do ministry there. And so as a result they stayed even longer, right? That's what it says, right? As, as ministry was getting hard, they just stayed. In fact, as it got harder, they got bolder and they just kept right on going. And we need to remember that as well. When we talk about needing to keep going for the Lord, sometimes keep going means to keep going right where you are. Every time things get hard or difficult, doesn't necessarily mean that God is trying to move us someplace else. That he never said that it was going to be easy. And sometimes he just wants us to stay put where we are in the heat of the battle and lean on him for strength and just keep going. Friend, maybe you're in a hard situation right now. Maybe it's a hard ministry situation like this was. Maybe it's a hard family situation. Maybe it's a hard relationship situation. I, I don't know. Maybe it's tempting for you right now that, you know, the exit sign is kind of flashing and it's tempting for you right now just to kind of go that way and to leave that situation and think that it's going to be easier and less challenging. And yet you know in your spirit that God is not calling you to leave, but God is calling you to stay in that situation. And you know what? If like Paul and Barnabas, you'll be faithful to stay where God has called you to stay, then he will empower you. and He will give you the grace and the power and the strength that you need to honor him and to keep going no matter what. Notice though with me that they didn't stay in Iconium forever. Verses 4 and 5 explain to us how things were getting hotter and hotter hotter. The situation was growing uh, just more difficult. In fact, there was such a division in the city. Some people were, were pro-Paul and some people were anti-Paul. And eventually it gets to the point they find out about an attempt that's about to be made to stone them. And this is what it says in verses 6 and 7. They became aware of it. And they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. So even though they did stay in this city of Iconium for months after their ministry uh, became very difficult, it did reach a point where they came to the conclusion the wise thing to do and the prudent thing for us to do is to go someplace else, to go to the next town and preach the gospel there. And so here's the other thing we need to understand. Sometimes to keep going means to keep going someplace else. I I love how one person put it. He said, Paul and Barnabas were, quote, brave, but they weren't foolish. They were born again, but they weren't born yesterday. God gave them the wisdom to know now it is time to go. And so they did. So how do you know? Right, That's the obvious question that comes to our mind. How do you know when you're supposed to stay? How do you know when you're supposed to go? Well, there really isn't any shortcut to that. The answer is to walk closely with the Lord Jesus. And as we walk closely with him and as his Holy Spirit fills us, he will lead us. The same Holy Spirit that filled Paul. There were times in Paul's ministry where the Spirit said, go here. Times in Paul's ministry where he wanted to go someplace and the Spirit said, nope, you're not going there. You're going someplace else. And as we walk with the Lord and we allow His Spirit to fill us, we're going to know where He wants us to be, when He wants us to stay, when He wants us to go, how He wants to use our lives for His glory. But regardless, the first motivation, the most important motivation for why we keep going is we do it for the Lord. The second motivation to keep going is that we keep going for the lost. For the lost. After Paul and Barnabas fled from Iconium, the text tells us they went 20 miles down the road to the city of Lystra. And then after that, another 60 miles to the city of Derbe. We don't read a whole lot about their ministry in Derbe, but there is, a, there is a lot about their ministry in Lystra. In fact, it's all of verses 8 through 20. Uh, Luke tells us the story, and it's a very interesting story, of how God uses them in the city of Lystra. Now, Lystra has been called something of a backwater almost hillbilly kind of town. Uh, It it has even been compared to the wild, wild west. The people in Lystra, most of them were illiterate. Uh, They were a little rough around the edges. Uh, We notice here that Paul doesn't do any ministry in a synagogue. Most likely that's because there wasn't a synagogue, which means there wasn't a sizable Jewish population at all. This was mostly a Gentile city that he went to. And so Paul's ministry, instead of starting in a synagogue, since there wasn't one, it starts with a healing, a miraculous healing of a lame man. And you can read it in verses 8 through 10. And as you read that healing story, it, it, it reminds us of another healing story of a lame man that happened back in Acts chapter 3. A lame man who laid at the gate beautiful at the temple in Jerusalem. And Peter and John passed by him one day and said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have, stand up and walk in the name of the Lord Jesus. And this healing story, again, very similar to that. That was a healing that God did through Peter. This is a healing of a different lame man that God does through Paul. Verse 8 really emphasizes that this man did not have an accident or something. Uh, this man has been lame from the time of his birth. Verse 8 tells us that about three different ways. He wants us to know that. This man has never walked a day in his life. And then he is healed, and he's healed. It starts with Paul noticing him as he's speaking about Jesus. Uh, Paul can see in his eyes this man has faith to be healed, and so he speaks to him, and he showed his faith because when Paul told him to stand up, it took some faith for him to try to stand up, right? To try to stand up on legs that you haven't walked on in your entire life. And yet this man tries to stand up, and when he does... He finds that for the first time in his life, there's strength in his legs and in his ankles and in his feet. And not only does he stand up, but again, just like the man back in Acts chapter 3, he starts jumping up and down and praising the Lord. It's an incredible miracle. And the intent behind that miracle, just like all the miracles in the book of Acts, is to open the door for Paul to be able to share with them about Jesus. And yet that's where the story takes an interesting turn because Paul doesn't really get the opportunity as he normally does to do that. Because in verse 11, it says, when the people who lived in Lystra saw that miracle, when they looked at that lame man that they knew had never walked a day in his life, and here he is jumping up and down, and then they turned and looked at Paul and Barnabas, they started screaming, these are God's. The gods have come down among us. And because they were screaming in their own Lyconian language that Paul and Barnabas didn't speak, they had no idea what was going on. They didn't know what they were yelling about. They didn't know what the commotion was at all. And, and it kind of reminds me of this scene. I don't know how many of you have seen this scene in, in Star Wars, right? And, and it's always interesting with Star Wars, right? I know there's a lot of Star Wars fans. And there's some people you meet that say, I've never seen a Star Wars movie in my life. And I have to, I'm not even sure if you're American if you haven't seen Star Wars, all right? you, you got to put that on your to-do list, all right? And so this is a scene where the little teddy bear Ewok creatures, right, think that golden C-3PO is a god. So they're carrying him around on a pallet and treating him as divine. That's kind of what's happening here, right? They're, they're treating Paul and Barnabas like this. And not just as any gods. Verse 12 says they thought they were two very particular gods. They thought that Barnabas was Zeus, the chief god in their pantheon of gods. They thought that Paul, because he was the one talking a lot, was uh, Hermes, the god of oratory, the god of speech. And so they thought that these two gods had disguised themselves as humans and were there in their town. And the reason why they thought this, this goes back to a, a Latin poet named Ovid who wrote a old folktale that actually predates Paul's time. Uh, It's a folktale that the people in this town would have grown up hearing about a time when Zeus and Hermes had visited this area in disguise as humans. And they had gone through the town looking for anybody to lodge them, but nobody would take them in except for this one elderly couple. Uh, Their names were Philemon and Bacchus. And as the legend goes, this elderly couple took Zeus and Hermes into their house. And because they did, uh, they decided to transform their cottage into a glorious temple and to make this elderly couple the priest and the priestess of this temple. And by the way, to wipe out everybody else with a giant flood because they didn't uh, let them into their home. And so, this is the folktale. This is the legend that these folks had grown up hearing. And so, they were thinking, we're not going to make the same mistake our ancestors made, right? And now, these two gods are back again. Clearly, they are because of this miracle we just saw. We're, we're going to not make that same mistake. We're going to give them the honor and the glory that they deserve. And so Paul and Barnabas start picking up on things when the priest of Zeus starts coming down the aisle with an ox with garland around its head and is getting ready to sacrifice that ox right in front of them in their worship, right? They may not have been able to speak the language, but they could tell things were getting weird, right? And, and they started seeing people look at them as if they were more than they really were. Now, if they had been like King Herod, they would have loved that. If you remember back to the end of Acts chapter 12, just a couple chapters before this, King Herod comes out one day to make a speech, and he's wearing this glittering robe that's glistening in the sunlight, and he makes this speech, and people are hearing it, and they start crying out, the words of a God and not of a man. And King Herod doesn't reject that. In fact, he receives that adulation. He receives that praise. He's loving it. He loves it right up until the minute that God strikes him dead on the spot. And the text says his body is eaten by worms. As you read through Acts and you read that story, it's quite refreshing when two chapters later you read this one. And you see that the servants of God, Paul and Barnabas, did not respond in the same way. It's quite a contrast. They weren't loving the worship of the crowd at all. They understood that worship only belongs to one person, and it wasn't them. And so we won't spend long here, but embedded in this story are a couple of reminders that we need to keep in mind as we keep on going in our mission for the lost. First off, just like we were talking about, we should never accept the glory that belongs to God alone. When Paul and Barnabas realize what is going on, they start running towards the crowd. They tear their clothes, which was a sign that they thought something blasphemous was about to be said or done, and they're trying to get it to not happen. And then they start crying out to the crowd, and they say, men, what are you doing? In other words, stop the madness. We are not gods. We are just men. We're human beings, just like you are. Don't worship us. Worship the one true God. And this is something that every Christian and especially every Christian who is uh, serving in vocational ministry should follow the example of Paul and Barnabas here. We are never to take the glory that belongs to God alone. God may have given you or me a certain place or role to serve in his kingdom, but let us never forget that we are all sinners who are saved by the grace and goodness of God. And all the glory, all the honor belongs to him. And and I'll just say this as well. I think in general in the church today, there is too much of of almost a pseudo-worship of famous Christian pastors and authors and musicians and listen, we can thank God for those who have had an impact upon our life. In fact, in fact, the Word of God tells us that we should honor those who work hard in the ministry on our behalf. But church, let's never exalt the messenger above the message. It's all about Jesus, and he alone is worthy of all of our honor and all of our praise. Here's another thing we need to remember as we keep going on mission for the lost. We need to share the message differently with different people. Share the message differently with different people. That's what clearly the Apostle Paul does here. If you remember last week in Acts chapter 13, we're reading a sermon that Paul gave in a Jewish synagogue. Now, in that setting, the people that he is preaching to have have read the Old Testament scriptures. So there's a lot of references to the Old Testament. He talks about the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. You'll notice here, he's speaking to a crowd of, of hillbilly Gentiles, right, who have never read the Old Testament scriptures. And so if he had started with, let me tell you about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they would have said, who, who, and who? Right? They weren't familiar with any of those names. And so he doesn't start there. Instead, he says, let me tell you about the God who made you. Let me tell you about the God who made everything around you. He goes on in verses 16 and 17 to say, let me tell you about the God who is the one who gives you rain, who is the one who makes the food to grow that is sitting on your table. He's not only the God that made you, he's the God that has sustained you and has provided for you all the days of your life. And before we move on, church, I think the application for us from this is, is, is pretty clear, right? We also need to remember who we're talking to when we're sharing about Jesus. And we should share differently when we're sharing with someone who maybe has grown up uh, in church and is familiar with the stories of the Bible uh, differently with them than we do with somebody who has never been in church a day in their life. And the reality is most people that you talk to today, most of your friends, most of your neighbors, they they may know who Jesus is, but they probably don't know who Abraham is. They don't know who Moses is. They don't know who Noah is. They don't know who Paul is. And so if you're going to mention one of them, you need to do an explanation and a biography when you do. And so most of the time we need to start where Paul starts, to start with the God of creation, the God who made us, The God who is at work in us, the God who Romans 1 says we can see his attributes even when we look around us at what he has made. Like it says in Romans 2, the God who gave us a conscience to know the difference between right and wrong and has planted that within us. The God who has been pursuing us all the days of our life with his love. That's the God that we introduce to our friends. Just like in the other cities Paul went to, some people in Lystra believed, in fact, We know one of them that believed was Timothy, who became Paul's son in the faith. We're going to find out in a couple chapters. He was from this city of Lystra. But despite the fruit that came from Paul's ministry in Lystra, opposition rose up as well. Some pretty intense opposition. In fact, in verse 19, it says there were some unbelieving Jews who traveled from a great distance. Some of them walked 20 miles. Some of them walked over 100 miles to track Paul down because it wasn't enough for them to have kicked Paul out of their city. They wanted to kick Paul out of every city. And so, when they caught up with Paul in the city of Lystra, they so riled up everybody else that this crowd, who like a minute ago was ready to worship Paul, now is ready to stone Paul. And in fact, the text says they did stone Paul. And I can Only imagine that as those stones were raining down on Paul's head, that his mind might have gone back to that day in Jerusalem before he was saved, when he was holding the coats of the people who were throwing stones at Stephen, the first martyr in the church. The text says that they thought that Paul was dead. They dragged him outside of town and they left him for dead. And then the new disciples, verse 20 says surrounded Paul's body, presumably they thought he was dead as well. They wouldn't have had any reason to think otherwise. And so they're surrounding his body. You can almost imagine them saying things like, oh, poor Paul, you know, he, he was just gone too soon right? And yet, I I just imagine almost comically, right, Paul opens one eye and kind of lifts up his hand and says, I'm still here, guys, right? I'm not dead yet, right? Don't don't give up on me yet. And and then really it's miraculous the way that it's told. Luke just passes over this very quickly, but it says he stood up on his feet and he walks back into the city that night, presumably of his own strength and his own accord. And the next day he gets up and starts a 60-mile journey to the next city. And this is the miraculous healing and intervention and protection of God. And Paul would remember this day forever. In fact, he would later write in his letter to the Galatians about bearing the marks of the Lord Jesus on his body. And certainly some of the marks that Paul had on his body, some of the scars, were scars he received this day when he was stoned nearly to death. He would later write to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. These words, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, love, and our key word for today, perseverance. Persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, the city where Timothy was from, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So Paul is telling Timothy, listen, you were right there. Timothy might have been one of those new believers that was surrounding Paul's body right after he got stoned. And watched Paul stand back up and walk back into the city. And he's saying to Timothy, listen, the same thing that happened to me is going to happen to you. Because everyone who desires to live a godly life, at some point in your life, you will be persecuted in some form some fashion but we can keep going because the lord is with us because the lord strengthens us this is like paul would write to the corinthians we are persecuted but not forsaken we are struck down but we are not destroyed so we keep going for the lord we keep going for the lost and then finally in the last few verses of this chapter we can also see that we keep going for the church for the church After Paul was stoned in Lystra, the next day, again, somehow God miraculously gave him the strength to begin a 60-mile journey to the town of Derbe. Verse 21 tells us very briefly what happened there when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. So they got there. They preached about Jesus. Many people were saved. That is awesome, of course. But what I find amazing is what happens at the end of verse 21 where it says this, then they returned to Lystra. Iconium and Antioch. So Derby was like the end of the line for this particular missionary trip for the Apostle Paul. But then Paul decides that he is going to circle back and he's going to go back to every single one of the cities that he had just gone to. Cities which, by the way, he was nearly killed in every single one of them. And I want you to even see on the map the choice that Paul and Barnabas consciously made. This map we've looked at the last few weeks, but you see the city of Derby up there. And you can also see that if they had wanted to, they could have just gone to the east, right, to the right on that map, and then south. And they would have gotten back to the city of Antioch in Syria, which had sent them out. And they would have gotten there quicker, easier, and far safer. But instead, Paul and Barnabas decide, instead of going east and going back home, we're going to go back west. And you see the return arrows. They went back to every city that they had just gone to. Now, why on earth would they do that? Why would they choose to go this way? They were literally risking their lives to go back to these cities again. I think they understood a couple of things that we need to understand today about ministry. First, we need to understand that our goal isn't just to make converts. Our goal is to make disciples. You know, if you think about it, they could have, again, very easily gone back to their home church at Antioch, and they could have gathered everybody together. They could have given an incredible report, right? They could have said, we had 83,217 people saved on this mission trip. It was unbelievable. And everyone would have loved it. But they didn't do that. Instead, they went back because Jesus said in Matthew 28, he didn't say go into all the world and make converts. He said go into all the world and make disciples and teach them to obey all things that I have commanded you to make fully devoted, mature followers of Jesus Christ. And again, Paul and Barnabas understood that. Look at what it says in verse 22. This is why they went back to strengthen the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. To strengthen the souls in the faith means to to, to confirm them, to make them firm in their faith, to teach them the basic truths of their new faith so that they could stand firm in that even when hardships and persecutions would certainly come. And again, this wasn't just a need 2,000 years ago with these new Christians who heard Paul preach. This is a need today with new Christians As well, in fact, church, we're praying that next Sunday in our services that there's going to be some brand new Christians who you invited to City Fest last night who are are going with you tonight. And that next Sunday in our services, there will be some seven or eight day old Christians. Is anybody else praying for that next week? Can can we give the Lord glory for that and just believe in faith that he is going to work, that there will be folks who will come to know Christ and you know what they're gonna need seven or eight days from now? They're gonna need some Pauls and some Barnabases, right? They're gonna need some people to come alongside them to help strengthen their souls in the faith so that they can grow in their new faith in the Lord so that they'll be ready to endure whatever hardships come their way in their Christian life. Another reason Paul and Barnabas went back, another thing they understood that we need to understand is that as much as our goal and our mission is to make disciples, listen, our goal isn't just to make individual disciples, it's to plant churches. I don't know if you noticed, but the ultimate result of Paul and Barnabas's mission trip was not just a scattering of believers in each of these cities. The ultimate goal and fruit of their mission trip was that there was a new church in every one of these cities where there wasn't one before. That this wasn't just a missionary trip, it was a church planting Trip. That's part of why they risked their lives to go back, to establish these new infant communities of believers, these new churches. Particularly, they wanted to give them leadership. That's what it says in verse 23, right? So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord, in whom they had. Believed, And so evidently in each of these cities, there were some who had grown sufficiently in their faith by this point that Paul was ready to appoint them as elders or overseers or pastors. Those words are used interchangeably in Scripture. But to appoint these folks to teach them the Word of God, to help shepherd them, uh, as Paul and Barnabas were about to be long gone. And it would be these elders from their own congregation who would be leading them and shepherding them in the days ahead notice also there wasn't just one pastor the text says paul established pastors elders plural in every church they prayed for them they commissioned them to the work god had given them to do most of you know by now that god has given our church a a god-sized vision of seeking to plant one church each year for the next 10 years There's a lot of reasons why I believe that we should plant churches, and there's even statistical reasons I could share with you about how a new church in its first five years of existence reaches many times more lost people for Jesus than an established church that has been around a long time. There's a lot of reasons why we need to plant churches if we want to reach our community for Christ. And we don't have time to share all of those reasons today, but I do hope just from this passage we can at least see this, that church planting is business. Biblical. Right? This is what Paul and Barnabas are doing. And and let me say this: it's not only what Paul and Barnabas are doing, it's what the church at Antioch did. And they did it by sending Paul and Barnabas out. Right? By sending these church planters out and by supporting them and by praying them, praying for them, they were a part of every church that Paul and Barnabas planted. That's why I love the end of this chapter so much. Because after Paul and Barnabas are done cycling back to all of those cities, it says that they went down to the port city of Adalia. They got on a boat and sailed back to the city of Antioch where they had been sent from. And, and, and remember, this is before the days of texting, Right. Before the days of iPhones, before the days of email, right? And so unless they wanted to send a carrier pigeon, right, to them, right? Or or write an old-fashioned letter to the church, but there's no telling how long it'd take to get there, right? The church at Antioch had not heard anything about how this mission trip had gone. And they had been gone now for over a year. Some estimate a year to two years for this first missionary journey. And so you can imagine every time this church got together, they prayed for Paul and Barnabas. Lord, remember our dear brothers, Paul and Barnabas, the work that they're doing. Bless them in that work till we see them again. And you can imagine the excitement when they hear that Paul and Barnabas are back in town. It says in verse 27 that they gathered together. I bet they gathered together the very night they heard Paul and Barnabas were back because they were so excited to hear what God had done and what a story Paul had to tell them. Everything in Acts 13 and 14, they got to hear for the very first time the wonders that God had done and what God had done through the church at Antioch because they were willing to sacrifice and they were willing to send these two out. Now, What is the big takeaway this morning from this story in God's word? We've talked about again how we're called just as they were to live our lives on mission for God. We have talked about how we're gonna face obstacles and challenges just like they did. But God has called us to persevere, to keep going, to persevere for the Lord, persevere for the lost, persevere for the church. And, and so here is what I think God is saying to us in this passage, just to kind of tie it all together. Friend, if you love the Lord, if you love the lost, if you love the church, then keep going. right? Keep on living the mission that God has created you and saved you and put you on this planet to do and keep doing it every day of your life until he comes to get you or takes you home. And he never said to us that it was gonna be easy. In fact, he said the opposite. He told us in advance that it was gonna be super hard. What Paul said to them in verse 22, to these brand new Christians, he said, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. We don't get an exemption from that. And we have to go through many tribulations as well. And when I think about how we're called to keep going for the Lord, you know, I also think about how the Lord Jesus kept going for us. How he came on the mission that the Father sent him to do. And how he kept going how he, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. He kept going for you and for me and for his church. And aren't you glad that he did? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we do thank you for the mission of your son Jesus, whom you sent. We thank you that he kept going all the way to the cross. That he was willing to lay his life down as a sacrifice. As the sacrifice that pays for our sins. He was willing to be nailed to a tree. To take the curse of our sin, the punishment of our sin upon himself. That he paid for it in full that day when he died on the cross. And he rose again that even now he offers us life in his name. Father, we thank you. And we pray, Lord, today that you would give us strength, give us boldness, give us a commitment that comes from the presence of your Holy Spirit, that, Father, no matter what challenges and difficulties we may face, Father, you know what's going on in every person's life that's listening right now, every home, every family. Father, would you give us the grace to persevere to keep going and to keep going in a way that will honor you. Father, in a way that will shine the light of your goodness to everyone that sees it. We need your help to do it, Lord, even this day and this week. And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.